Hello and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the very best of classic soul and R&B music. I'm Bethany Dawson and joining me today is the British Ambassador of Soul, David Nathan. Hey David. Hey Bethany. Today we're celebrating soul food, not only the food itself, but some fun stories about our favourite musical artists and their favourite soul food. So David, talk me through an explanation of what soul food actually is. (laughs) Okay, soul food, I uh, think of soul food as being the, the uh, associated with dishes primarily that come from the black American community um, that would have begun probably somewhere in the 60s using that particular term. And how did you as a young man in England discover this new cuisine? Well, I discovered the, it in a, in a kind of funny way. It, it wasn't really called soul food in England. I discovered it because I was hanging out in Brixton. And I was hanging out in Brixton in 19, late 60s, early, early 70s, um, when um, there were not a lot of people who looked like me coming out of the Victoria Line tube station. What do I mean by that? Well, I had a lot of bushy hair, but most of the people who lived in Brixton at that time were West Indian. No, entire, not completely, 100%, but, you know, that was a lot of the people, uh, guys I hung out with, and uh, I became familiar with, uh, the first dish I really became familiar with was rice and peas. And rice and peas was because <laughs> I used to hang out with this group of guys, and on sun on Saturday nights, we'd all congregate in this um, flat in um, in Brixton, and we'd all want to go to a party. We'd all go, all go together. We'd try to find out where the party was, the house party. And we, if we couldn't find it, then the, the owner of the house say, uh, "We'll have the party here." And then we'd invite everybody over to come to that to his house, right? And then the next morning, because I was not exactly known as a culinary expert, um, the guys who made the rice and peas would make this big pot of rice and peas, and I would have to do the dishes along with some other people who didn't cook it. So that's how I first discovered rice and peas. And then, but then we didn't have soul food in England. I mean, it wasn't called soul food. It was just, you know, Jamaican or West Indian rice and peas and other associated dishes like ackee fish and and plantain and so on. So I didn't really know what soul food was in England because we didn't have it here. It wasn't called that until I went to America. That's when I discovered what soul food was. And talk us through your first soul food experience in America. Well, my first soul food experience in America was one over which I will never get. Okay, so I have to set the scene for you. So in England, uh, I had uh, met um, a husband and wife, Herb and Brenda Rooney, and they were members of a a group that came to prominence in the 60s called The Exciters. Uh, And uh, they had a couple of hit hit records, one called Tell Him and another one called Do Wa Diddy Diddy, which was actually uh, covered by a a gentleman and his group called Manfred Mann, for those who really know their 60s pop music. Anyway, so the exciters, Herb and Brenda, used to come to England, you know, quite a lot to perform. and, and, And I met them somewhere in the, I think, early 70s. So when I went to live in New York, um, Brenda said, oh, you should come out to our house. I'm going to cook you a, 
proper soul food meal. I was like, wow, I'm finally going to find out what soul food is like, for, for real, like the real thing. So I went out to their house. I, I remember Herb met me at the at the um, at the subway station, and we went to their house in Queens. And um, she had made this big, like massive load of soul food, which consisted of, you know, uh, some some dishes that I what slightly from the rice and peas, the, the American equivalent of rice and peas, which I think was red 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 beans and rice. I think that's actually the equivalent. Now I'm thinking about it. Uh, I don't know if it was planted. I don't think we had planted. Huh? I can't remember what else. Maybe some yams, some other stuff. But colored greens. For sure we had colored greens, which I had never heard the term colored greens before, for sure. And then chitlins. And I, you know, she made me, I don't know what they were. I'd heard of chitlins because I'd heard of the chitlin circuit, which was this... Uh, circuit of clubs, mostly in theaters, mostly in the South in America, where artists would tour. They'd go on this big tour bus and tour throughout this. And it was, the Chitlin Circuit was known for being kind of these particularly clubs where they didn't have like great dressing rooms and they were that kind of low. They weren't very, they weren't your like supper clubs or dinner clubs. They were like your Chitlin circuit clubs. Anyway, so I didn't know what chitlins were. I just heard, heard the word. So I ate the chitlin and everything. I was like, oh, so she says, oh, that was great. She said, what do you think of your first soul food? I was like, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. So then a few months, she said, well, come, you have to come back. So a few months later, I went back with my friend Gary, who was from here, um, from Britain, I should say. He was my flatmate in Britain. And he had gone to live in New York and we went out again to to their house in, in, in Queens and she she said, oh, I've been up all night, you know, preparing the, the chitlins and I didn't think anything about that. I was doing, okay, whatever, I don't know what that means, but anyway. So we start to eat the food and I think Gary did know what they were, but I, I said, oh, so she said, she, you like, you like those? I said, oh, yeah, the chitlins are great. I said, by the way, what are they? And she said, oh, you don't know what they are? I said, no. She said, well, they're pig's intestines. Delicious. And I'll say this. A chitlin has never passed my lips since. And I did have reason to share that lovely story with Miss Franklin, Aretha Franklin. And when I told her about my first experience of chitlins, that I didn't know what they were, she literally felt, well, she laughed so hard on the phone. She said, I, I said, David, because she at some points in her life used to make chitlins too. She loved her some chitlins. Later in life, she saw the wisdom of not, for, for dietary reasons, probably not the best thing to eat. Um, but yeah, so that was me and the chitlins, but no chitlins since. <laughs> but chitlins aren't the only food you spoke to Aretha about. Tell us how you managed to get the Queen of Soul herself to cook for you. Well, you know, there is the word bribery. <laughs> Some people might have heard of bribery, right? No, I'm, I'm not familiar with the <laughs> anyway. term. Anyway, so here we are. It's 1980 and 
Aretha has left her Atlantic recording home for many years, and she's now signed a recording deal with Arista Records. But it was before the record came out, for her first album for Arista came out, and because she and I had really gotten to know each other, and we, you know, done a lot of interviews, and, you know, we, I mean, we really had a really good relationship, you know, for a journalist and journalist, but also more like, you know, she knew that I was a real, a real Aretha aficionado. And I really, you know, and, I, and yeah, she was like, yeah. So we really be- became, I want to say friends, when I say friends, I don't mean like someone I'd call up on the, every day on the phone, but we had a kind of a more of a personal uh, relationship as much as it was a professional relationship. And uh, so she says, uh, she, she called me, she says, um, um, you know, I have this new album coming out there and I love, I'd love you to come out and do an interview before the record comes out. She's like, to hear it. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, because this was going to be, was not paying, being paid by a record company for me to go out there. And I don't think that I had any blues and soul budget. So I said, well, okay. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'd love to do that, but I'm going to make it, I'm going to put a condition on it. And she said, okay, what's that? I said, well, I've heard that you, I've heard all about your culinary uh, skills, and I know you're known for your peach cobbler. Now, for those who don't know what peach cobbler is, it's, an, it's, a, it's a dessert made of peach, made of peaches. <laughs> peach cobbler is a particularly American, cobbler is a particular American kind of way of making a pie. And, um, so I said, well, as long as you make me some peach cobbler. She said, all right. So, you know, fast forward about a month or so. And uh, I arrived in Los Angeles staying with a, a friend of mine. And I called her and said, uh, you know, I'm on, I'm on my way. It was in the evening. She said, uh, I said, but only one thing. I just want to make sure. Did you make the peach cobbler? It's important. She said, yes. I said, all right. So on my way. Sat down before we started the interview. I said, well, okay. She said, well, let me give you some peach cobbler first. So it, it was <laughs> like, wow. So then we did the interview and I said, well, uh, okay, but now I need a little bit more peach cobbler. <laughs> so I think, I think I might have taken some away with me too. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, you it took was, away peach cobbler from Aretha was, Franklin. A, a, I mean, she really, she, she, she used to say she liked to swish in the kitchen. What a lovely term. Yes, and she did. Or switch in the kitchen, switch in the whatever. She 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 liked she liked to, to cook, and she was good. It was good. Now I didn't have any. She didn't make me any chitlins, thank God. Would I you? Mean, would you have eaten no, Aretha Franklin's absolutely chitlins? Not. No, absolutely not. <laughs> we draw a line. No, no, no. But so that so that was my second Aretha uh, story about food because of course I then told her many years later about the chitlins. On the Aretha note. What would be good with a peach cobbler, some may say, would be some fresh ice cream, which I believe you have. Oh, uh, fresh ice cream. <laughs> funny story. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, don't, I don't want you to think I'm a food, a food junkie or a, food, a, food, a foodaholic. These are just certain memories from my, 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 my what do you call it? What kind of career has it been? My fabulous career. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, <laughs> in the 60s, uh, before Aretha joined Atlantic, she recorded at Columbia, and she had a song called Soulville. Soulville was this place where all the hip people met, 
And of course, what would you find in Soulville? You'd find some great food in Soulville, wouldn't you? So at the end of the song, Aretha is ad-libbing. And um, I used to, in my very British voice, sing along with Aretha. As you, can you imagine that? Can we you, can but try. You, you can imagine it. I was. Uh, <laughs> so here she was singing about the food you find in Soulville, the fresh ice cream. I'm like, oh, yeah. And years, years later, I was uh, in, um, with a friend of mine, Dan, in New York, and I remember we were in his car, and I think he must have had a CD player or something. And he started, and Soulville, he put Soulville on because I was singing along, the fresh ice cream. <laughs> he said, what? I said, the fresh ice cream in Soulville. That's the end of the session's ad-libbing. He said, it's not fresh ice cream, it's black-eyed peas. I'm like, what? He said, listen again, it's black-eyed peas. And he sang along with them like, oh, it is black-eyed peas. So then... Fast forward a few, I think probably in this, on that same visit to New York, because I lived in Los Angeles at the time, I saw Aretha at the Rhythm and Blues Foundation dinner, and I said to her, oh, Miss Franklin, so I've called her Miss Franklin in front of people, I said, uh, you know you know that song you did called Soulville? She said, yeah. I said, you know how you ad lib at the end? She said, yeah. I said, well, I always thought you were singing about fresh ice cream. And I, but then I found out it was Black Eyed Peas. She said, well, the fresh ice cream would have been all right, too. <laughs> put that on the cobbler. It, put that on the cobbler. That's right. <laughs> That's where it belongs. We're going to take a quick break now, but please stay tuned because we'll be right back. Available for pre-order exclusively at soulmusic.com, the 50th anniversary edition of First Take, Roberta Flack's 1969 debut album for Atlantic Records. First Take has been remastered and expanded to a two-CD, one-LP box set, featuring the original eight-track album plus 16 bonus tracks. First Take is a beautiful soul-jazz hybrid that includes the number one hit song, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, and includes famous jazz luminaries such as Ron Carter, Benny Powell, and Selden Powell as sidemen. Featured in the 1971 Clint Eastwood movie Play Misty For Me, the popularity of The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face helped drive her debut album to number one on both the Billboard album chart and the R&B album chart. Newly remastered and expanded, this deluxe 50th anniversary edition includes 16 bonus tracks, 12 of which are previously unreleased, totaling nearly an hour of never-before-heard Roberta Flack music. Also included in this deluxe set is the original vinyl album, newly remastered and pressed on 140-gram vinyl. It's accompanied with a detailed essay by noted soul historian David Nathan, all beautifully packaged in a 12 by 12 hardback book. Roberta Flack's first take, the 50th anniversary edition, is now available for pre-order exclusively at soulmusic.com. Welcome back. We're talking about soul food. And on the dessert trend, um, I hear you won't have a story about Dion Warwick in Christmas. <laughs> yes, Dion 
Again, because we know that her name's pronounced differently in different places. Warwick in America, Warwick in England. Uh, I was working with Dion directly, uh, this is 1983, on um, what at that point was a, a possible treatment for an autobiography. So we spent quite a lot of time together in that 1983. It was also the year when uh, Heartbreaker became a massive hit all over the world. And that Christmas, um, she invited me to L.A. Uh, for Christmas. I mean, I, was, I think I was, already, I was out there already. No, I wasn't. I, I went out there specifically at her invitation and... Um, I had Christmas at Dion's home in Beverly Hills at the time. And the thing I didn't know about Dion, because we never really had any reason to talk about it, was that she, um, for Christmas in particular, she would literally stay up the whole, like the day before, a couple of days before, and cook. She did her, she cooked for people at Christmas in her, in her home. And um, so... One of the things she cooked was something I had never heard of called pineapple upside down cake. And I want you to know something. As good as Dion can sing, you would not want to walk on by from the <laughs> pineapple upside down cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. They're corny, but hey, well, corny. Anyway, she, she, she it's cooked. All topical, it, it's yeah. all topical. It was Christmas dinner, but the pineapple, the pine, pineapple upside down cake was, as they say in the vernacular, the bomb. I love an upside down cake, personally. Have you had one? Yeah, so we're talking, you've got... Slices of pineapple, bottom layer here. Slices of pineapple. When did you have it? Normally, oh, we have them all the time. Where? Uh, in the north of England. Me and Dion Warwick, we could we could have a Christmas dinner. Are you do really really do have? Yeah, I can talk I you through it. it. I th- I thought it was on the American. No, we've got you've got a you've got a piece of pineapple, centre cut out. Cherry That's in right. The center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've probably yeah. got about eight on the bottom there, and then you've got a, a, just a classic sponge cake yeah, on the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Drizzled in some form of sweet little uh, nectar. So when did it begin in England? I'm not sure, but yeah, a classic. You sure it wasn't imported by Dion? No, well, this could be. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been up to, Dion? <laughs> when you were when you were singing "Heartbreak on Walk On By." So, David, I hear you're a pescatarian. Can you talk us through the last time you maybe broke that? Oh, no, no. You can't talk about the last time I broke it because I've broken it within the last five years. However, we can talk about the one very memorable time I broke it. Uh, And this has to do with the, um, you know, the the legendary Luther Vandross. And when I met Luther, he was not legendary. He was actually... um, at the time, signed to Atlantic Records, to one of the uh, parts of Atlantic called Cotillion Records. This is like mid-70s, 1975. He had already done some work with David Bowie, uh, written a song called Fascination, I believe, for his uh, Young Americans album. And Luther was mostly known at that time as a jingle singer, doing commercials and um, you know background sessions. And he wasn't Luther as we know him, as we subsequently got to know him. And we had this group called Luther that was on Cotillion, and I went up to Atlantic Records in the New York office and did an interview with him, and it was really nice. He was very friendly, and, you know, we, just talked, we had a lot of musical 
common interests. And one day I was walking down my uh, down my street on uh, I was on 56th Street in Manhattan, very famous street now because me and Luther both lived there. <laughs> it wasn't famous at the time. Anyway, he lived in the next building to me, and he saw me in the street one day. I didn't know that. He saw me in the street one day. He said, "What are you doing here?" I said, "I live I live in this building, this one here, 320." He said, well, "I live in the next one." I said, oh, really? His building was slightly more elegant than mine. But anyway, he said, yeah, I lived there. I've lived there for a few years. Oh, great, great, great. He said, we have to come over one time, you know, and catch up. You know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so two things about visiting Luther. Um, well, actually, three things. Firstly, a little anecdote for those. This is a really interesting, not a food anecdote, but it's kind of an interesting revelation. Um, at some point, he was really, after his group, he disbanded his group, and he was really having a hard time um, getting a solo record deal, which was amazing given how many people's records he was on, and he was touring with Roberta Flack and done stuff with Bette Midler and all this stuff, and he still didn't have a record deal. So uh, the, just as like right in 1978, this is when I used to go to his flat, and we'll get to the to the food in a moment. We really will. Um, and he said to me, he said, well, listen, you know, when you go to England, you know, see if you can get me a deal in England, like a, a, a record deal in England. So I took this little cassette because we had cassettes in 1978 with some of the songs that ended up on his first um, solo album. Um, and I played it to somebody, a record. Oh, this is a food reference. Not really. Uh, Pie Records, but spelled P-Y-E. Nice. <laughs> uh, and the guy there said, oh, I played him the cassette. He said, oh, no, it's just, it's just too American. He's too American. It's too, it's not really for this market. Yeah, right. And the three years later, you know, Luther Vandross is like this mega, starts to become this mega person. I think the guy kicked himself, but oh, well. Anyway, I digress. So I used to go to Luther's flat and um, we used to play cards, actually. I always lost. But anyway, gin rummy. Oh, I love Jim Romain. Well, he did too, and he was good, and I was not. Anyway, so while we were while we were whiling away the time um, playing cards, he always had big buckets of. Can I say KFC, or do I have to say the whole thing? I'm not, I'm not infringing on anyone's copyrights by saying Kentucky Fried Chicken, am I? KFC, wow. KFC. Yeah, always buckets of KFC. Now, at that time, I did eat KFC. Yeah, really. Years later, when I when I became a pesky pescatarian, um, I didn't. And in the wake of Luther's passing, I went to his memorial service in New York. And um, I was on my way to the airport, leaving Manhattan with a friend of mine, Nick. And, and I said, I need to stop somewhere. He said, well, where? I said, well, just, just, just bear with me, you know. Walked down the street and there I found a... KFC, and I went in and bought myself some Kentucky Fried Chicken. And my friend Nick, who knew that I was not a chicken eater at the time, said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm buying and eating some Kentucky Fried Chicken for Luther. So that's my KFC story. I've occasionally, occasionally, um, what's that right word when you kind of fall off the... Fall off the, off the wagon. Fall off the pescatarian wagon. I've had a Nando's every now and again, but very now and again and not in any, not any time recently. Nothing wrong with Nando's. Nothing wrong with Kentucky Fried Chicken.
So you've lived in New York, you've eaten KFC with Luther Vandross there, um, but I believe you moved to Los Angeles and too and spent a lot of time there. Talk to me about some of your food experiences. Okay. Well, <laughs> sushi. Sushi. I didn't even know what it was. Here's what happened. I was doing... I was not. I was living in Los Angeles. I lived in Los Angeles for about six months, nineteen towards the end of autumn of seventy-five into the spring of seventy-six. And while I lived there, I had occasion to meet with Mary Wilson, one of the original members of the Supremes. Uh, I think at that time she was still a Supreme. In fact, she was still a member of the Supremes, and. she and I don't know. I don't know the circumstances of why we were meeting, other than to meet to do an interview of some kind. And she said, "Let's meet at Sushi on Sunset." And I said, "Okay." And I didn't know what sushi was. I just thought it was the name of a restaurant, you know, Sushi on Sunset, like you'd have a restaurant called. I don't know, just the name of a restaurant. Beth yes. on Broadway. Yeah, Beth on Broadway. <laughs> so I think probably that's been done before, Beth on Beth. Anyway, yes, so I didn't know what it was, and here I roll up to the sushi on Sunset and met Mary, and and she said, have you ever had sushi before? I'm like, well, I don't really, you know, what is, she says it's a Japanese dish, you know, obviously at that time it was very niche. I mean, very, very very niche and quite this restaurant was quite famous because i think it was one of the only ones in la that actually had sushi so we sat down and she said oh hey you see what you do with it you kind of you know the little rice things and the da, da, da. i mean she was showing me how to eat it and so on. i was not very good with using any utensils with it so I just kind of, and so, oh, so, and it's this green stuff. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't know you're supposed to put some of that wasabi onto the sushi. I thought it was just some, like a vegetable you just put in your mouth. So I took the wasabi, and just, actually, I think I used the utensil for that part. I just put it in my mouth. But a big blob, you went for uh, a big... Yeah, because it was like on the plate, you know. I, I was like, oh, oh, oh. Because it was so hot, I couldn't talk. I really couldn't talk. I had to drink loads of water. And she, she roared. She did not say, stop in the name of love. (laughs) She said, stop in the name of sushi. (laughs) Whoa, it was just. So she said, you're not supposed to eat it like that. I'm like. Well, I wish you had told me. Hello. Okay. So then I learned the correct way to eat wasabi. A learning curve. It was a A learning learning curve curve with Mary Wilson. What can I say? I've had learning curves with Aretha and Chitlins and Sushi and Mary and Mary and whatever. Life is a learning curve. Life is a learning curve full of great food. That's about it for this episode of My Classic Soul. Please join us again, and we would love it if you could leave us a rating and a review on your favourite podcast platform. Also, make sure to follow My Classic Soul on Facebook and visit us at soulmusic.com. Until next time, I'm Bethany Dawson. Bye.